Last week, at a women's clinic in Houston, phones were ringing off the hook. Women were calling, desperate to get an appointment for an abortion. So you're, are you, you're wanting to do the co-method abortion? Yes, okay. Tell me when your last normal period was. The people who work at this clinic had to deliver the bad news over and over again. That there were only a few hours left before a new law kicked in. And at this clinic, there were no appointments so, left. Here's the difficult news that I have for you. The laws have changed and starting on Wednesday, if you're over six weeks into the pregnancy, we can no longer offer abortion services. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, September 7th. Last week, the stakes got even higher in the battle over abortion rights in the U.S. A new law in Texas went into effect that bans people from getting abortions after six weeks. And by a narrow majority, the Supreme Court ruled to let this law stand. This decision opens the door for other states trying to limit abortion rights. And in Texas, the consequences are already playing out on the ground in abortion clinics like that one in Houston. They received 400 calls that day. On a regular Monday, they might get 100, and they didn't have any appointments to give out. Reporter Caroline Kitchener went to Texas to talk to the people whose lives are being affected by Senate Bill 8. So Senate Bill 8 bans abortion after six weeks gestation, and that's before the vast, vast majority of people know that they're pregnant. Senate Bill 8 is also unique from other bans that we've seen pass in states across the country because it gives power to regular citizens to enforce it. So essentially anyone in the entire country can file a lawsuit against anybody who helps someone get an abortion in Texas after six weeks. Wow. So that could be, you know, the provider, that's sort of the most obvious one, um, the doctor or somebody else who works at the clinic. But it could also be somebody who works in an abortion fund that helps fund these abortions. It could be an Uber driver who helps somebody get to the clinic. It could be a sexual assault counselor. It's really sweeping in that way and gives a lot of power to, you know, the the word that a lot of people are using are vigilantes. It's been really interesting to watch all of the attention on these tip lines that have started up. What, What are those tip lines? So Texas Right to Life, which is Texas's largest anti-abortion organization, they're the ones who helped draft the bill. They've been sort of most intimately connected with the bill. They're saying, you know, report this to us. You know, we will look into it. And, you know, I, I've been in regular contact with the legislative director there. And he says that, you know, they've they've yet to see any really valid reports because no abortion providers are providing abortions right now. So they are still encouraging people to report, but they haven't seen anything yet that makes them think that there are any illegal abortions taking place. But theoretically, what is the punishment? Theoretically, I mean, they they sue them, right? So I've been talking to a lot of these small organizations that have, you know, abortion funds with staffs of you know, six or seven people, one lawsuit could put them under. 
those kinds of legal fees. And, you know, there's also a $10,000 bounty reward that's being offered to people who bring these lawsuits. Hmm. And, and for the people that you talk to in this clinic, how were they feeling about this new law being in place? The fact that it sounds like it'll make it more difficult for many people to get abortions, but also that there could be personal consequences for them. They're terrified. I went to Houston Women's Reproductive Services. It was really high pressure and high emotion because all of these calls were coming in and all of the people that were answering these phones knew that there were no more appointments. There hadn't been any appointments since, you know, Wednesday or Thursday of the week before. So every person that called on Monday, they said the exact same thing. You know, they asked, how far along are you? The vast majority of callers said, you know, six weeks or further along. And they referred them out of state. They referred them to a clinic in Oklahoma, which was eight hours away. You know, it's just, it's so hard to wrap your head around what it's like for these women and then to have to jump through all these different hoops, come up with the money, the child care, the, you know, the transportation, the, and it's interesting because, you know, the last few, last uh, days of last week, they were getting those calls and, and, and some were just saying, okay, I'll just try someplace else. Like it hadn't sunk in that, you know, even though we might not be able to help them, that no one's going to be able to help them. Because everyone is slammed. You know, the people who are answering these phones, they know that most of their patients are not going to be able to travel eight hours out of state. They don't have the money to do that, to pay for hotels, to pay for transportation, to pay for childcare. So they know that when they say it's eight hours to Oklahoma, would you like the number for that clinic? What they're really saying is, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to access an abortion. It just feels surreal to have to say to women, we no longer can help you. You have to go out of state. That's Marjorie Eisen. She's a patient advocate at Houston Women's Reproductive Services. Um, yeah, it's. I'm. I'm struggling to put it into words. Yeah, yeah. I'm worried. I'm yeah. terribly worried about women, and you know, it, it worries me that they're gonna, you know, maybe resort to not healthy measures yeah. um, if they feel, you know, completely. And then we both all know that if they continue these pregnancies, and um, those options are not great either. Yeah. You know, we don't take care of women. Post, you know, part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Once you have the kid, good luck. Yeah. They're also really concerned about the legal liability here. It's scary. I mean, a lot of these places are are small. They're independent. I mean, the, the one that I was at is a is a small independent clinic in Houston. You know, it's not a Planned Parenthood. Um, they don't have a ton of resources to throw into fielding lawsuits that could be filed literally by anyone. And tell me more about what you're hearing in terms of the responses from people in Texas, especially from people who oppose abortions and are, I would imagine, 
happy to see this law put into place. They're absolutely thrilled. I spent Thursday in Waco, Texas, which is about an hour and a half from Austin, with a group uh, called Pro-Life Waco. But yeah, my joy was, what? They've got heartbeats at five plus weeks, and here the, the court passed it at, you know, when, when it's detected, most likely week. six. Make up your mind. And this is a extremely active anti-abortion group that canvasses outside of the Planned Parenthood in Waco anytime that there are abortions scheduled that day there. So if you, you know, if you want to strike at the head of the snake, that's where you go. You go to the abortionist. You go to the abortion facility. And I'll never call them clinics because it has nothing to do with health. And so you go to the abortionist and... Uh, that's what puts teeth in a law because in Texas now, of course, there's a $10,000 fine attached to it. And if, you know, one person can, can file, then you can, any number of people out here can pile on it. Yeah. So it can get pretty expensive. So, um, you know, I don't know where it'll all shake out, but, you know, it's... it's They can't believe it either. I mean, th- th- this is really shocking and surprising to people on all sides. And I went on Thursday, which was the day after the Supreme Court came down and decided, you know, specifically not to block this bill. And they said, praise the Lord. This is a wonderful day. Babies are going to be saved today. They were celebrating. It was a, it felt like they had finally won. That was Caroline Kitchener. She is a staff writer for The Lily at The Post. After the break, the origin story of the Texas abortion law and what it might mean for the future of Roe v. Wade. We'll be right back. Our creator endowed us with the right to life. And yet, millions of children lose their right to life every year because of abortion. In Texas, we work to save those lives. For conservatives like Texas Governor Greg Abbott, the fact that this abortion ban has actually gone into effect is a huge achievement. Many other states have passed similar bans, but all of them were struck down by the courts before they could be enforced. And now this Texas law is providing a blueprint for states who were unsuccessful before. We talked to legal affairs reporter Ann Marimo about how this one bill in Texas was tailor-made to circumvent legal challenges and what it could indicate about the future of Roe v. Wade. The law was specifically designed so that it could not be blocked from taking effect. It was inspired in part by the academic writings of a former Texas solicitor general named John Mitchell. Um, He, as solicitor general, had to defend many Texas laws from legal challenges and came up with a way to write the statute so that opponents of the law could not come in and block it. And in fact, the lead Senate sponsor in Texas consulted with him and got his 
advice about how uh, specifically to write the law. So to say it can't be enforced by state officials, that private citizens would be the ones to come in and enforce it through these civil lawsuits, and that would sort of bulletproof the legislation from preemptive legal challenges. And that's what we're seeing in Texas. I mean, the reason it is in effect right now is because of the way that it's written. So this law went into effect last week, but it was also a question that was brought before the Supreme Court. What happened with the court in terms of how they decided about SB 8? So the Supreme Court, in a divided five to four opinion, the majority said, we cannot intervene at this point. Opponents essentially have sued the wrong people here, um, that none of these lawsuits have been filed yet, so that we cannot stop it from being enforced. Um, They made clear that they were not ruling on the merits of the law and whether or not it's constitutional, but they said they were not going to stop the law from taking effect at that period. The five justices in the majority were the three justices appointed by President Trump, uh, in addition to Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. And then in the minority, you had Chief Justice John Roberts joining with the liberals. Roberts said, this is such an unprecedented law um, that we should allow it to go through judicial review before letting it take effect. And the liberals, especially Justice Sonia Sotomayor, uh, was much more forceful, saying this is clearly unconstitutional and again. Roe v. Wade and should not be allowed to happen. So if the majority in this opinion said that they're ruling on this just because of the legal details here and not actually ruling on abortion or or people's right to have abortions, is that an argument that we should buy? Like, is the takeaway here that we can't really tell how conservative the court is on abortion? Or is there something more sweeping than the majority wants to suggest about the significance of their decision here. So the majority based this ruling on a procedural posture. They didn't even mention Roe v. Wade. I think the real test is going to come this fall. Um, There's another major abortion case involving a Mississippi law that bans abortion after about 15 weeks of pregnancy. It'll be a case that's fully briefed. There will be oral argument, and then the court will rule, and then we will know exactly where the court stands. But I think opponents of the law, supporters of abortion rights, say that you can't look at what the Supreme Court majority did and not think that there's interest in at least rolling back some of the guarantee in in Roe v. Wade just because of the effect on the ground that this new law has. Mm. I should say that the majority did make clear that there are constitutional concerns about this law and that opponents of it may come back um, in a different procedural posture. So uh, once there's actually a lawsuit filed against a provider, at that point, the abortion provider or healthcare worker in abortion clinic could challenge the constitutionality of the law. So they didn't rule that out. They just said this is the wrong case to block enforcement. We've also seen the Biden administration weigh in on this law. What are they planning to do to oppose it? So, yes, Biden very forcefully came out criticizing the law and that the court did not block its enforcement. The most pernicious thing about the Texas law, it sort of creates a vigilante system. 
said it created sort of a bounty by offering $10,000 for each successful lawsuit. And he called on his agencies to try to come up with ways to protect uh, women's constitutional rights. You know, it's unclear exactly what the federal government can do um, from the executive perspective. Over the weekend, Attorney General Merrick Garland came out and said that DOJ would aggressively enforce laws that prevent tax and obstruction of abortion clinics. But that doesn't really get at these lawsuits that would go after the abortion providers or really anyone who gave a woman money to get an abortion after six weeks or drove her to the abortion clinic. Separately, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is saying that she's going to have a vote to try to formalize and enshrine this constitutional right in federal law. People are asking questions about whether this law and the Supreme Court's decision in this case is the beginning of the end for Roe v. Wade. Do you think that's the case? Well, I do know that six or seven other states either have introduced similar laws or say that they're going to now. Um, So I do think it is going to be a model for other states to try to pass restrictions in a way that avoids courts stepping in and blocking their enforcement before they occur. I think it's still very much an open question how the court will handle a ban on abortion at such an an early stage of of pregnancy. I do think that the bigger test will come with the Mississippi law with with the 15-week ban. Anne Marimo covers legal affairs for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Rennie Svernovsky, produced by Alexis Diao and Sabi Robinson. You can learn more about the stories in today's show at postreports.com and join the conversation online using the hashtag postreports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. 